Hi, everybody. I'm Gus Johnson along with the governor. He says he got all his jeans from his mom. From his mom. A lot of nylon. A lot of excitement in the air. Yes. And we're ready for college basketball. College basketball. Oh, oh. Gus. Oh, he's got onions. Gus. He's got onions. What's up, everybody? Welcome to week three of the Big East Barroom presented by SeatGeek. Use the code BEBR for Big East Barroom at checkout and get $20 off of your first purchase. You're going to a game. Use our code. Get some money. Give some to us. We go to the game together. We have a beer. We become friends. We're in your wedding. Boom. Ryan, how are you today? I'm doing well. That was electric. Uh <laughs> We're only 24 hours late with this episode because we spent about 12 hours going to the Giants-Patriots game at the Giants-Patriots game, coming back to the Giants-Patriots game. So that is why you got a Monday night recording session instead of a Sunday night recording session. We appreciate your patience. Ryan, would you rather watch DePaul right now play or the Patriots-Giants game on repeat? Or DePaul? Are you kidding me? A Biggie's game? I love it. At least they scored. Um, I mean, they can't stop the other team from scoring, but, you know, at least they score. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Both those games were pretty bad to watch. You're right. DePaul at least can be fun with how much they score. Um, The Giants-Patriot game was not fun. Rye, we're recording Monday night. We're just catching the end of the Xavier game, and it looks like they're about to lose, which will be really fun if they somehow pull this off now. But we have decided we are going to record by um, the amount of money it costs to go to your school. So UConn would be the lowest tuition payment, um, especially if you are an in-state person, but we've only said out-of-state. So, Ryan, do you want to put three minutes on the clock and do what you do? Let's put three minutes on the clock. We're going to talk some UConn Huskies basketball. They played two games this week. They finished off the Empire Classic by beating Texas at MSG, and then they played Manhattan you went to that game, so you might have some interesting insights, but we ought to start with their matchup against a ranked opponent, against Texas. Um, they take care of that game. They're leading for most of the game. Texas pulled it pretty close towards the end. And then Mr. Alex Caravan shows up. He hits the three final shots for the UConn Huskies, scores 20 points. He was just tremendous, hit a bunch of tough shots down the stretch. I thought it was interesting, right? For the first time in a long time, we had UConn playing a really close game. Listen, during the tournament last year, they won every game by double digits. This year, they've won every game by double digits to start. It was I was curious as to who they were going to give the ball to down the stretch in games. And I was a little, you know, cautious about Alex Carabin because his game doesn't, you know, scream one-on-one basketball player. But, man, those three shots he hit down the stretch in Madison Square Garden, electric. Yeah, I think that's actually a really solid point. Um Last year, we knew it was going to Adama Sanogo in these moments, right? Or they'd run something for Jordan Hawkins off ball. Probably like two-thirds Sanogo, one-third Hawkins, right? This year, you obviously don't have either of them. Who do they go to? And it's Alex Caravan. I agree with you. He's not beating anybody one-on-one in terms of athleticism, in terms of getting to the hole. But he just hit three really tough shots when it mattered. Kid's a winner. Um, One of the better shooters in the Big East, four of eight in that game. Uh, moving on to the Manhattan game, we'd have to talk about Mr. Triple-Double, Tristan Newton. I mean, this guy, the way he's playing right now, 
earlier in the season, we might look back on this and say it's a bad take. Kid's playing like an All-American. I mean, the, he's now got the most triple-doubles in UConn history with three. Yeah, you say what you want about the competition, but he averaged, I believe, this week 15-8-8. Eight, and eight. So it's not like he was far off any of the games. Yeah, and last week in the Sunday game against Indiana, the first game of the Empire Classic, he was also really good. John Rothstein tweeted out, quietly having a great year. Doesn't need to be quiet. You know, if guys like John Rothstein were talking about him more, he doesn't get the respect he deserves. But he is one of the best players in the best conference in the country. Yeah, I think if we're going to just rain on the UConn parade at all, and I think Ryan and I haven't been able to watch the UConn game yet because we've been watching Xavier. Um, Donovan Klingon with 200. Oh, they just got a steal. They did get a steal. Are they going to? Uh, made the layup. Okay. Um, Donovan Klingon with two performances. I just was um, looking on Twitter, and Rob Doster brought up a good point. Donovan Klingon did look sick against Texas, and um, I had quite a few people asking if he was coughing and stuff like that, so maybe that was it. But I thought in the Manhattan game he got moved a little bit, but now I believe Donovan Klingon just got his uh, career high. So <laughs> the the point I had coming into this is ruined by us doing a Monday uh, record session. Yeah, two pieces on that. Not for nothing, his father did tweet out that he was sick. But, of course, his father did because he had not great games. But the second thing, it was interesting to see Samson Johnson's get the minutes down the stretch. He played over twice as many minutes as Klingon in that Texas game. I think Klingon only plays like 12 minutes. He did get in some, into some early foul trouble. In For Hurley, in a way, it's an embarrassment of riches because when he takes out Donovan Klingon because he's having a bad game, he gets to go to Samson Johnson, who is just fantastic. Right. UConn versus Kansas on Friday. Most anticipated UConn game. Well, I mean, obviously, since the national championship, does UConn go into Fog Fieldhouse and get a win? I'm not betting against them, and I just saw him lose to Marquette. I wasn't impressed. I, I like the Huskies. All right, Rye, second lowest tuition in the Big East is the team you either want to talk about the most or want to talk about the least, the DePaul fighting Blue Demons. Right. Put three minutes on the clock and let's do what we do. So DePaul plays just one game. They lose to Northern Illinois this week. It is their third loss to a Ken Palm team that's sub 135. Uh, they have three of the five losses in the Big East to that level of Ken Palm team. This is the Phil Mongebrowit game. Those of you who remember Phil Mongebrowit was in the Big East with DePaul. Last year, right. It wasn't like he died. He was there last year. Well, let's be clear. Not everybody's following DePaul Blue Demons to that level. Um, He had nine points in this game, so I don't really care that much to talk about. Right. I mean, I think the conversation with Stubblefield at this point has hit a Patrick Ewing level um, where we're talking about not if he's going to be gone at the end of the year. We're talking about when he's gone at the end of the year and if he makes it through the rest of the year. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think the most interesting thing going on into Paul right now is whether or not he's going to be fired midseason, um, which is really unfortunate because you think back to two years ago, do you remember that all-access game they had? I think it was Stubblefield, and it might have been Shaka Smart in his first season with Marquette. And Stubblefield seemed, you know, he seemed like a really – he was on top of his guys. He was giving them great lessons. We were really optimistic about the future, and it's just never come together for him. He seems like a great person, but... Right, he gave up 90 points to Northern Illinois. Northern Illinois looked at this game on their schedule and said, 
oh, we're playing one and four DePaul. And, you know, we were talking earlier, Ryan, you said Stubblefield had some quotes about, oh, it's going to get, you know, we believe it can get better. My question is when, I mean, Texas A&M they play is ranked. Um, what was the other game that I just said that they're playing? They're playing a, a P6 team coming up in the next few days. Um, they are playing. Let me just find it. I just had it all. They have uh, Chicago uh, State coming up who are in the 300s in Kempom. So that would be probably the last game they're favored in. They have Iowa State and then they have Texas A&M who Texas A&M is ranked. And then they play Louisville who's a dumpster fire at all times. But I don't know if Louisville's looking at DePaul and saying they're more of a dumpster fire. Like, and then we're talking about like we're almost into um Big East play. Right, is DePaul going 0 and 20? I think we settled on plus 300 right now, which is I mean, that's embarrassing. We are going into conference play with plus 300 that you will go winless 0 and 20. It's well, at I, least they I have Deshaun Nelson. Okay, at least they have Deshaun. Yeah, I mean, I don't even see the Chicago State game that you're talking about on their um their schedule that I'm looking at right now. But whatever, DePaul's in really bad shape. Our next team on our list is the I want to call everybody the Fighting something. Can we just do that? The Butler Fighting Bulldogs. Sure. Butler is the next school, and Butler played three games this week. Butler's my highest riser this week, right? You want to talk a little Butler fighting Bulldogs? But, well, not really. But Butler's not your highest riser because we have a team in a week, first off. So Butler's my highest riser, I've decided. It's a hot take. Uh, they played three games. They lose to FAU. And then they win against Penn State and Boise State. They end up, I believe, with third place in the ESPN Invitational, which was the event that they're participating in. Ty, what'd you see? What'd you like? What you didn't like? Yeah, I think um one of the things you want to talk about, and Michael DeRosa brought it up on Butler Twitter, wings. I mean, this team last year didn't have them. Now they have two of the – I don't know if they're two of the better ones in the conference, but let's – you know, Jameel Telfer. And then, Ryan, I know your biggest riser this week, if you're talking about a player, one of your biggest risers is Pierre Brooks. Pierre Brooks, 26 points against Penn State, 25 points against Boise State. He shot – Really quick math here. Math shot model. over 50% from three in those two games. Tyler, what are the likelihood he shoots over 50% from three on the season? Right. I, you know, I'd like you to answer that question first so Butler Twitter doesn't have a field day with me. 100%. Obvious. He's All 9 right. of 16 in those two games. He has a 0% chance of doing that. This, this team fights hard. They are going to be better than last year. If DePaul was doing what Butler's doing now, like just showing that they can fight and be competitive in games. Think about how different the narrative would be over there. I mean, we should start talking about, and I I was on the wrong side, is that Thad Mata, I thought Thad was bad. I thought he was done. I thought he was washed. The players that he brought in, and those are his players now, they play with an edge. They're athletic as hell. I mean, Jamil Telfer, we saw in person, Looks like a football player walking around. He's a full 6'9". He looked almost as tall as um, Thomas, Jamel Thomas. Yeah, they got a lot of offensive talent on this team. DJ Davis is a fantastic shooter. Pierre Brooks is the truth. He's built like a linebacker. You get him downhill, he's one of the hardest players to stop. Um, Telfort as a four, stretch four, doing a little bit of everything. I was not impressed with the defensive effort that I saw against Penn State. 
too many easy baskets. They let Penn State shoot about 43%, and Penn State missed a lot of open shots. Penn State easily could have put up, could have shot, you know, closer to 50%, and they still put up 78 points. I got the chance to talk to DJ Davis a little bit about the defensive system. I was asking him because, you know, I was, I was noticing kind of the scheme. I asked him if that matter was a pack line guy. He said, yes, that is a pack line guy. So you play heavy in the gaps and then, you know, you need to recover heavy also, which is an interesting system. If you're not familiar with it, that's the system Tony Bennett has made very famous at Virginia when he won the national championship at Virginia. It's a system that attempts to limit drives and force you to shoot over them. Not too different than a zone. Well, many of the principles are different, but the the way it acts out is similar. All right, Ryan, that's enough for our Butler fighting Bulldogs. I don't think it is. I think we need more. You just said you didn't want to talk about them, and now you're saying you want more time? Is Rennie requesting more time of the Butler Bulldogs? We always need more Butler time, but I suppose I'll acquiesce and allow us to move on. And, Ryan, we got to talk about the team. I mean, we might be talking about little knee-jerk reactions, but Xavier just lost, and they're the third um, or fourth least expensive school to go to in the Big East. Ride the Xavier Fighting Musketeers beat Bryant by 25 points, and then they go and they lose to Oakland um, today. Dalen Swain, I don't know if you saw it, right? As just as we were finishing that Butler or middle of that Butler segment, Dalen Swain missed a half court shot. Um, that would have sent that game actually would have given Xavier a win, right? I mean, I'm I'm ready to like my hand is on the panic button in, in Xavier. It's a tough one. Um, and obviously all the material we had prepared is not really relevant anymore. Beating Bryant was a, a nothing burger. And we kind of assumed that they'd be able to take care of Oakland as well. And now they've lost Oakland. And it kind of changes the entire outlook, especially for this week. But, you know, now we're talking about that makes their NCAA resume, NCAA tournament resume a lot worse. Yeah, I mean, this is probably going to end up being a quad three loss, um, maybe a quad four loss. This is as bad as it gets. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, you're only getting Desmond Claude over 12 points. Um, you let Oakland shoot 52% from the field. And listen, this is what's even crazier. Oakland shoots 52% from the field while only shooting 26% from three, which means if I can do some quick math here, they shot 23 of like 33 from two. I mean, we're talking like 70% they shot from two today. This is exactly what you feared with Xavier when they lost their two best players. Well, two of their three, if you're counting Claude, um, that they weren't going to have the inside presence. And, you know, I like Nameshka in um, spurts. I like um, Osa. Uh, I just came in and said I knew how to say it. Usman. <laughs> Usman um, in spurts, although it seems like he does not know how to play basketball without fouling. I just I don't know where they're gonna get those minutes from at the five. And the real problem is, right, the big east loaded at the five position. Yeah, they get a great backcourt. I mean, nobody's questioning a backcourt. Davion McKnight, Quincy Oliveri, Desmond Claude, Dylan Swain has been a really solid piece. Green has had really solid minutes. So what do you do at the four and the five? And you know, Miller's been playing around with it. And you know, before they lost to here, I would have said Miller's been doing a good job. And now they lose to Oakland. I mean, what's like? It's more work to do on the front court. We're talking about a four and three team going into conference play, and maybe the toughest conference in basketball. I mean, we're looking at 
yeah, they're clearly, and let me be clear, they are clearly ahead of Georgetown and DePaul. Um, but they're probably in that Seton Hall, maybe a little worse than Butler right now range. Yeah, let's be clear. Going into Big East play and how difficult that's going to be, they needed to avoid this kind of loss. Yeah. This this is going to be – I mean, you're going to feel this all the way through March, all the way through Selection Sunday. Yeah, and this is bad for the Big East too. Let's not sugarcoat it. When you get to conference play, you're only – one of the measuring sticks is how did you do in non-conference play um, because we don't know how good you are if you didn't do well in non-conference play. Like everyone's going to have respect for Marquette all year because they beat Kansas. If you don't rack up some non-con wins and then you just play each other, well, you're like, well, it's kind of like the Big Ten every year. Are you just beating up each other because someone has to win those games? Uh, can you name one difference between the Big East and the Big Ten in terms of postseason success? Um, they have different names. One is the Big East and the other is the Big Ten. How about we won a national championship last year? When's the last time the Big Ten won a national championship? I believe Maryland in 2002. Um, but we also have... Villanova done it twice since then too. What year did Izzo win it? 2000, I believe. Tom Izzo's not a great coach. I'm sorry, but he's one. I can't get you started on that. God, it's so ridiculous. Him and Jay Beheim have a combined two championships. Shabazz Napier has two championships. What the hell are we doing here? Uh, What's the next tuition? If we're going with the next lowest tuition, we would be going to Nebraska, which I would have said was my lowest stock of the week until I just saw what Xavier did. And Creighton lost to at least a good Colorado State team after beating Loyola Chicago. Um, held the 49 points. Right. How was their shooting that game? They shot from three. They shot 20.7%. From overall, from the entire field, they shot 27.9%. Tyler, how often do you see a team shoot under 30% from the field? Never. And you never see someone as talented as Trey Alexander go one from 16. Listen, this game, and this is what's different, right, about the Xavier game versus the Creighton game that we just saw. This win's not going to bury them. Colorado State is ranked this week. I mean, this is a probably a quad one loss. We're talking about that, you know, maybe we just have to pump the brakes on where we thought Creighton was. I worry about them when the three's not falling. That's what I'll continue to worry about. Where do you get a bucket when the three's not falling? Yeah, just a real quick comparison. Uh, Oakland is 147th on Ken Palm. Colorado State is 29th. Yeah. So really not comparable in that capacity. This is not that bad of a loss for Creighton. Losing in the capacity they did, losing the way they did it is concerning. But the fact they lost to Colorado State is not panic time. Absolutely. But, right, I mean, I know you're – we talked about this a little bit. I My worry continues to be if you shoot 20% from three, I don't know where the offense is coming from. But you have a very different take on that. Well, earlier – and I noticed that you don't want to repeat your opinion on this, but earlier you were talking junk. Well, go ahead. You're not giving the ball to Ryan Cockbrenner and saying, go get me a bucket. That's the difference, I think, from everything else, where if you had Baylor Shireman, Trey Alexander, and they were shooting their threes and missing, and then you just could dump it into him and be like, all right, he'll get me 16 and eight or whatever. I mean, if... Now, are, are you suggesting that Greg McDermott will not draw up a play with 60 seconds left to give Ryan Cockburner a chance to score. I think you have three other people on the court that he's going to drop a play for before that. I disagree. I think you put him in a pick and roll. He's the best lob threat in the country. That's, that's like saying that UConn's going to drop a play for Donovan Klingon. I just don't see it happening. Ryan Cockburner is a senior and has done it for four years. He has. He went to the Elite Eight last year. Do, I mean, okay, fine. Donovan Klingon. Donovan Klingon's a national champion. 
Donovan Klingon has never been the focal point. Ryan Kalkbrenner has two-time Big East defensive player I, of the year. It's not a knock on him. Ryan, if, if I could give you one-on-one right now and Joel Soriano versus Ryan Kalkbrenner in the paint, who would you be taking? But you're not playing one-on-one. Play two-on-two. Okay. On two. Joel Soriano. Would you dump the ball to jo- – answer this. Would you give the ball to Joel Soriano in the paint for a bucket? Yes. Oso. Yes. Eric Dixon. Yes. So these people you would give the ball to. If I said you have to beat – like, for a back-to-the-basket move, would you give the ball to Ryan Kalkbrenner? But just because Ryan Kalkbrenner's strengths are different than those bigs, it doesn't mean he's not a scoring threat. He scored 29 points against him. not a back-to-the-basket threat. You're not giving him the ball and saying, get a bucket. But there's other ways to score than back-to-the-basket. Of course you're in the is. 1980s? Are you Patrick Ewing has to play back to the basket yeah. 20 times a night? And you want to know what? If your three's not falling, nobody's helping, and they're just going to just double-team Kalkbrenner. Tyler, you want to bet money Trey Alexander doesn't go one of 16 again from the field? Wait a second. You just – you're taking – that is – I never said he wouldn't. So this – but that's my point. They're one not going to have to shoot the night again. You don't think that they might shoot 20% from three again? No. Oh. 29% from the field overall? No, of course not. Well, but I, I would don't. say that if you don't shoot well from three, people are just going to pack in that defense on Kalkbrenner. They keep, you can't pack in the defense against Creighton. It's the last team you want to pack in. They're defense. 20% from three the other day. You packed it in just fine. They had the best three-point shooting your, percentage in the conference. You could have turned your damn back on them, and it wouldn't have mattered. You're whacked out. Our first whacked out of the season. Who's All right. Name? Right. The next school on our list, which I think is funny that it's listed as only $30 more um, than Creighton, is Marquette University – who played three games earlier in the week and is now resting from the Maui Invitational, right? And, and they're the stock, my biggest stock riser of the week. Wait, right? We have a right. We have a team of the week, though. Why would you say that? You're right. They're my second. They played three games. They put. They beat UCLA. They beat the number one Kansas team, and then they lose to Purdue. And what looked like it might have been a blowout, and then Marquette in the second half comes out with the fire under their ass, and they take it right down to the wire. Uh, if Braden Smith doesn't get that ball out of his hand with one second on the shot clock, it's a shot clock violation, and they're going down to score, um, trailing by what one point? Yeah, I mean, we're, let's also you start to get you started with UCLA, who is not as good as Marquette, um, but I mean, you're like one bad bounce going in that way from you, Marquette not even getting a chance. Um, they wiped the floor clean with Kansas, but I agree with you, right? A game of inches here, right? If Zach Eady doesn't. I mean, he's seven foot five, but if Zach Eady doesn't get that rebound and tip it back in, Marquette really has a chance to win that game. Um, I think that we would be remiss if we didn't ha- spend a lot of time talking about Oso Iguodaro. Yeah, revelation. And he, he's he been so underrated in the Big East for so many years because he's a four-year senior at this point. Last year, he never got the respect he deserved. Two years ago, he was still a darn good ball player. First off, what he does defensively, with the versatility he gives the Marquette defense because he can switch one through five and he can guard the five pretty darn well. Yes, you mentioned he has trouble guarding them seven foot five people. Everybody in the world does. Um, but outside of physical freaks, he can guard everywhere. But then offensively, he was just fantastic this week. Yeah, you know, going into this game, I I think, or going into Maui, I think some of the conversation was, oh man, Oso has to guard Hunter Dickinson. Oso has to guard Zach Eady. And coming out of these games, it was, oh, man, Hunter Dickinson has to guard Oso, and Zach Eady has to guard Oso. He's got that push floater over seven foot five. Zach Eady. I mean, Tyler Kohler gives it right there. Kind of remind me a little bit of a flex, 
you know, offense. I'm not as familiar with the X's and O's, but the way they were getting him that ball in those situations, those interior passing, um, I could be wrong. And it's not a flex offense because you're not nodding your head. Uh, but I don't think he's flex offense, but I love mentioning the flex offense. It's a little short roll. He's the best short roller in the conference I've seen. And you're exactly right. Nobody who is his size has his mobility. So when you make Hunter Dickinson guard him, uh, yeah, Hunter Dickinson has a couple inches on him, but you have him running around the court with with Iguodaro, he can't keep up with him. I think it's right, a th- pleasure to get to watch him play basketball. I think we need to talk about this too: the return of the chip on the shoulder of Marquette Golden Eagles, Marquette Fighting Golden Eagles. Um, McCullers hits that three, talks a little shit to Shaka. And Chuck is not backing down to anybody. And listen, I'm not always for a head coach going after a college kid, but they've been looking for that chip. They're, you know, they're the hunted instead of the hunter. And they're face to face with the number one team in the country right there. I was wildly impressed with their fight, with the resolve, with their, we're not taking a backseat to anybody. Yeah, I love it. And and, and it's Tyler Kolek and Shaka Smart and it's Oso Igadaro. And it's, um, you know, when we got to see him at media day, also said, I had an unfinished business. Like these kids, they know what they want, right? Yeah. They had a dream season last year and they got bounced in the second round and they've been had to be, listen to be called frauds for a whole year. And they're like, I just want to be in the NCAA tournament again, man. Like, give me another shot. That was an off game. Tyler Kolek broke his hand. Put me back in the NCAA tournament. We are bad motherfuckers and nobody can beat us. I, I completely agree. I was really happy to see them. They're going to embrace being the bad boys of the Big East this year, and I love that for the Big East, and I love that for national media. All right, Ryan, the next school on our list is the St. John's Fighting Red Storm. St. John's played one game this week and doubled up plus one on Big East nemesis, Holy Cross. Holy Cross now sits at one and one on Big East teams on the year. Um, right, St. John's? I would have liked to see them schedule this game at the beginning of the year rather than schedule all those really hard games at the beginning. Um, they kind of got screwed with their Invitational and their Gavit games. But, man, would I have liked to see them get a few more wins and feel like know what it feels like to win a bunch of those games with their new head coach at the beginning? I mean, let's be clear. They scheduled Stony Brook to start the season. Stony Brook is one of the lowest Ken Palm opponents. They play they Michigan beat. the next game? Yes, that's true. So I mean, and then wanted they, them to schedule two of these types of games to start the season. I would have liked two or three of these games, like UConn did to start the season. Yeah, your big storyline from this game was the return of RJ Lewis. He had been injured to start the season. He's a transfer over from, and I'm going to blank on this. UMass. Yes, it is UMass. Um, your boy, your boy got it. And RJ Lewis didn't just come back; he looked great. He's another wing for. Coach Patino to kind of slot in. He's got, I mean, he's got so many pieces. And it's all about figuring out which pieces can gel, which pieces can't. How about this? He had 11 guys in double-digit minutes in that game. I was just counting it up as well. I mean, we didn't get to watch a lot of this game, but you'd have to assume some of it was garbage time um, and wonder what his ideal scenario would be. You know, Soriano only plays 17 minutes. Uh, Dennis Jenkins only plays 16 minutes. Hard to take a lot from the box score of this game. I mean, you score 91 points against Holy Cross. You hold them to 45. That's great. Um, I My only concern with St. John's, and this people might say I'm pessimistic because Rick gives me the ick, but did Rick Patino make a lot of promises to kids about playing time? And now as push is coming to shove with some of these kids, they're realizing 
hey, we're not going to get that playing time we talked about. And then are they already looking for their next move after this? You know, because you do have to wonder what the it's going to do to the team chemistry morale. If some of these guys who think they're going to get a lot of playing time don't end up with a lot of playing time. Right now, the way I see it, you have three locks in the starting lineup. Dennis Jenkins, Jordan Dingle, and Joel Soriano. And probably Ledlam. I think there's, he got, I think Ledlam's starting every game. But there's been a lot of questions about Chris Ledlam's play to this point in the season. A lot of questions posed by myself because I've watched many hours of St. John's basketball to this point. He clearly still has a starting job because he started the other day. However, um, I'm not sure if his play continues at the capacity it has been. He will hold on to that starting job. I'm, of course, rooting for him. No. Uh, right. I don't I don't really have a whole lot else other than we should probably talk about St. John's has some good games coming up here um, in the next few days. Um, they are going to be playing against. They've got West Virginia at West Virginia. Sacred Heart, and then they got Boston College. You got to go two and one. Yeah, you need to at least beat. You're going to beat Sacred Heart, and you have to beat Boston College. Um, so you hope to get the West Virginia game. The West Virginia game means a lot. We just talked about that with Xavier. Like these games follow you for the rest of the year. If they win that West Virginia game, and West Virginia goes and is okay for the rest of the year, we could be talking about like, hey, they're on the bubble, but they got that win against West Virginia at the beginning of the year. Yeah, not that it hurts them the way the Xavier game did hurt Xavier. Uh, but you have to get one of these games in non-con eventually. Right, You've it would be beneficial all. for the entire year. You would always have this to point back at. And so. Yeah, you. I mean, you have the Utah game, which Utah, I think, is top 38th or something on Ken Palm. Um, but, and you have the North Texas game, which North Texas is good. But you don't have the Michigan game. You dropped other games. Um, you got to win as many P6 games as you can because who knows when, where the Big East wins come from. I got a quick question because we're way out of time. Is oh, St. John's the biggest unknown in the Big East at this point? Xavier. I, I have no idea what Xavier is. I, at least I have an idea of what St. John's is. I think tonight I learned a little something about Xavier, whereas St. John's doesn't have a bad loss. Yeah. Right? Um. No, they don't have a bad loss. What do they have, three losses? Two, just Michigan and uh, Dayton. Dayton. Yeah, I mean, no, they don't have a terrible loss. All right, who's next? Right, we are going to be going on and just moving a little bit, um, a few hours away, and that is Seton Hall fighting Pirates for the Do university. You think that South Orange, New Jersey is several hours away from Queens, New York? I would say with traffic, we're probably talking about two at least. So now we're talking about, you know, we have to have a conversation. And I, if think, you don't want to, I think it's like one hour away. And if you're not trying to have a conversation, I don't want to talk to you about it. Um, Seton Hall this week, right? You know, there are, for me, they are tough. My loser in some ways because they lost to USC. I mean, a game they were really in, I you know, especially at the end of the game, they kind of went on a furious comeback. And then they kind of got blown out by Iowa. They lose by 13. This was my week where I thought, hey, Seton Hall goes one on one. They're pretty happy. 2-0, they're ecstatic, and maybe getting votes to be ranked. 0-2, worst-case scenario. Yeah, Tyler, tell the people how we spent our mother and sister spend their Thanksgiving evening. We watched Seton Hall play USC, and we watched Isaiah Collier really play well against um against that team. I yeah. And everybody knows I've been a Seton Hall doubter the entire year, so I'm not going to do any laps because that's 
in poor taste. It's just when Seton Hall's defense is supposed to be their calling card, you give up 71 points to USC. USC's offense is not that freaking good, okay? You allow them to shoot 44% from three. I mean, not from three, from the field. If if they're supposed to be a defensive first team, you can't give up 71 points in a must-win game. And Iowa then scores 85 the next day and 56%. Think about how differently we talk about this. If, yeah, you lose to USC, they have all the talent in the world with their recruiting class. But then you go and you beat Iowa and you're like, all right, well, we got a P6 win. We're five and one. Hey, at some point, this team is going to need to figure out what their identity is. If they're going to hang their hat on the defensive end like they have in past years, you can't ever have a team shoot 56% from three or 56% against you. If you're going to be an offensive team, you need to score more than 63 points against the USC who, you know. So I don't know. I don't think they know what they are yet. Um, no, listen, they're big. They're tough. They, um, you know, Jaden Bediaco is huge in the post, but he doesn't have a lot of he, – he's not the most skilled big you've ever seen, okay? He was 11-11 and 11 in that, um, you know, in that Iowa game, which we're saying was kind of a must-win for them. And he went for twelve and seven and six and nine shooting. I was impressed by Bediaku actually. Um, I think you need more from you need you need more from Dawes. You need more from Adewusu, um, because I think you know what you're going to get from Kadari and kind of know what you're going to get from Dre. And How about get- this? Five of twenty six between Adewusu and Dawes in the USC game. Watching that live, I didn't realize it was that bad. Oh yeah, I mean, you needed that outside threat, and you just didn't have it from either of them. And Kadari isn't a three point shooter through and through. Um, no, but Kadari's a winner. You put him on a good team and he's, um, uh, he's an all conference player. I mean, I agree with that, but I, you're also talking about, yeah, that he went to, uh, they have Northeastern next, right? That's their next one. And they have an 89% chance of winning that per, um, ESPN. And then we'll, we'll kind of see where, what the state of their program is. Tyler over under five and a half big East wins over. They're going to beat Georgetown twice, and they're going to beat DePaul twice. Well, everybody's going to be – I could beat DePaul twice. So, well, get out there, kid. I'm not a shooter, but, you know. That could be a real rock fight. Who's next? Ryan, next on our list is Providence College, $57,000. Jesus Christ. They're one of the premier Catholic institutions of the Northeast. Why don't you hop on a commercial and do that with Ed Cooley a little bit more? Right. How did uh, Providence do this week? They played one game. They won one game. They had Lehigh, a uh, little low major lull here in between last week's um, midseason tournament event. And then they will be taking on URI in the coming week. After that, they have Oklahoma. So, you know, taking a little easy here. And, you know, it was a they only win by 14 against Lehigh because Lehigh made it. I don't know if you're watching this game. They made a crazy comeback towards the end of the game. Um, started hitting a bunch of crazy shots, but Providence was up plenty and it was comfortable in the end. Josh Adoro, 29 points, seven rebounds, nine of them things. I mean, I think it's just time that we talk about Josh Adoro as being maybe the most underrated transfer in the Big East. Um, Bryce Hopkins also get right game, 25 points, 14 rebounds. Yeah. I mean, this Providence team, we'll see, we'll see what they are. You know, we're going to. We're going to see what they are. They have Oklahoma coming up soon. Oklahoma just snuck into the rankings this week at 25. This Providence team, to me, is a tournament team. This Providence team is good enough to offensively and defensively, and they looked really well coached, which is really a testament to Kim English in his first year. Um, 
yeah, give me this Providence team. I don't think this game moves a needle for me, but I was impressed by their um, you know, preseason tournament anyway. Yeah, I think all that I'm really taking away from this is like Bryce Hopkins hasn't lost it, right? Like I know this is low competition, but I clearly agree. he's still capable, which I mean it would be weird if he wasn't. And then Josh Adore really is dangerous player, which we were kind of picking up on against some of the higher competition anyway. It's all about what they do as they play more high competition, but they're an NCAA tournament team right now. They're in. I mean, you're talking about their one loss on the season being to a P6 team where they haven't had a slip up against one of these lower major teams. Uh, the Garway, Garway Duel came back. Um, He didn't play great, but, you know, hoping that he started because he's yeah. still with Jaden Pierre. Because Jaden Pierre is, well, I wouldn't have played Jaden Pierre in this game either. Hopefully, Jaden Pierre is back by next week. Right. Um, do you have any concern about Providence? What are your like? What are you thinking is going to derail their season if anything ever does? I don't want to be cliche because I know that everybody's. How do they guard the monsters? The Ryan Cockburners and Donovan Klingens. Uh, Josh Adoro's six nine, and that might be kind of a generous six nine. But a outside generous, of that, a generous sixty nine. I don't know nothing. But, uh, you know, in, how do they shoot the ball? Devin Carter shot the ball really well to this point, but obviously last year he wasn't that good of a shooter. Yeah. Right now, no, there's no concerns. These are all hypotheticals. Everything we've seen from them this season has been really freaking good, and they lost in overtime after uh, losing two of their point guards. I agree. Right, the next school we would talk about would be Villanova, but because they're our team of our week, and we were lucky enough to be joined by the great Tommy Godin. Stay tuned for that. Right, the last team we're going to talk about before Tommy hops on, the Georgetown Fighting Hoyas. Ty, how much does it cost to go to Georgetown? Jeez. Oh, uh, it costs, according to this website, $62,000 a year. Again, I have no idea if that website's right anymore, and I want you guys to be yelling at your computer, being like, how do they not know this? And I'm like, well, because I didn't go there. Um. We did right. take the first website we found. Yeah, no, we didn't even do any research. I would be so pissed if somebody did this. Um, Georgetown played one game this week. Georgetown won one game this week. Georgetown beat Jackson State this week, and Jackson State's one and six. However, the Missouri head coach, did you see this quote? No. The Missouri head coach um, previously said that Jackson State was the best 0-5 team he's ever played. So I am um, 100% just going to believe that Jackson State <laughs> – has played really tough competition, and someone has to win those games. You gave up 81 points to Jackson State. It's Jackson freaking State. I'm sorry. I'm, I am I don't want to sound angry, but I'm so frustrated with Georgetown and DePaul at this point. They knew what their weaknesses were in the offseason and then didn't do anything to correct them. Jackson State got 22 offensive rebounds in this game. Yeah, rebounding are- for Georgetown is such an issue right now. Their front court is just not rebounding. Um and I think Ed Cooley is searching for answers right now. He gets one point off the bench total. Feel 88 points scored, one point off the bench. I mean, that's – there's a lot of very serious concerns about Georgetown. Last time we saw him play, a good team was against Rutgers, and they just completely were useless, turned the Rutgers ball over. To be clear, Rutgers isn't even a good team. They're projected to finish like 11th in the Big Ten. And if you didn't know, the Big Ten, only 10 teams. They're going to come in 11th. <laughs> I'm kidding. I know that Big Ten isn't Big Ten anymore. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, any any level of competition comparable to them is all I'm referring to. They, they lost to the Holy Cross team that St. John's just beat by 45, and I'm saying St. John's might be the eighth best team in the Big East. I mean, this is a – the best thing is Jaden Epps seems to be just a shot maker, shot taker, but maybe emphasis on shot taker too. This they got TCU this ball. week. They're is playing T- TCU. TCU ranked? No, not right now, but they're 5-0. and ESPN gives them a 39% chance to win and they don't I don't think they have to win the game. I think they have to be competitive. TCU 30th on Ken Palm right now. Um it looks like their defense is really good, but that's fine because Georgetown can score. They just can't stop anyone. So maybe this will be good for Georgetown. I don't know. I'm like I'm baffled what to say. I'm glad they won. I'm glad Jaden Epps played well. Dontre Styles continue, continues to look like the truth. Jay Heath almost had a triple double in this game. I, I don't know how you give up 81 points to Jackson State and got out rebounded by 12. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're not going to win a lot of games in the Big East if they don't figure out how to rebound the ball. And um, even DePaul might steal one if they're getting out rebounded by 12 rebounds. DePaul at Wintrust against Georgetown? I mean, like, I don't even know what the spread will be. Like, Georgetown minus two? I'll tell you what, I'll be watching, though. I mean, that's for sure. We've been watching every game. We don't watch ball. Well, that is our first 10 teams. We're going to go to a quick break, and then we'll be coming back with Mr. Tommy Godin, Mr. Villanova, and we're excited to talk some Villanova Wildcats basketball, so stick around. We want to give a little shout-out to our favorite sponsor and the sponsor of the episode, Diamore Designs. Diamore Designs is a family-run company that creates apparel, custom apparel, for all of your needs, um, they kind of got their start making apparel for rec sports teams and you know softball teams, intramural teams. Um, but now they really do it for anything that you could need. So if you want any custom apparel, go to DMOR Designs. Tyler, you got the website? Yeah, dmordesigns.square.site. Um, uh, if you just Google DMOR Designs, it's going to come up. Um, help them out. They're really helping us out, getting us to do a few cool things. Help them out. Look cool while doing it. All right. That just leaves our last team of the week, which is our team of the week. The Villanova Wildcats get three P6 wins this week. And who better to talk than Mainline Minutes' very own Tommy Godin. Tommy, how are you? Thanks for coming into the bar room. I am fantastic, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm a big fan of the show. Well, we appreciate that, and we're a big fan of your podcast, Mainline Minute which is the best spot if you want to catch up on Villanova basketball all through the week. After you us. <laughs> and it's a great week to talk about Villanova basketball. You guys get three big wins in the battle for Atlantis. You go out there and beat Texas Tech, UNC, and uh, Memphis to win the championship. Let's start with Texas Tech. They hang 85 points on the Texas Tech defense, which, you know, historically has been a pretty darn good defense. What did you see that game? What stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, I was shocked, right? You're talking about Texas Tech and their historically good defense. Going into the game, they were ranked number eighth on Ken Palm in defensive efficiency. And they have some dudes. I mean, Warren Washington, six-year senior, he's a seven-footer down in the paint. Uh, They have a formidable backcourt, West Virginia transfer, uh, Joe Toussaint and Pop Isaacs. I was expecting a a tough – a real tough matchup. I didn't think I, I hammered the under. Uh, I'll put it that way. I did not see Villanova uh, eclipsing the 80 point mark. Um, I was glad to see them eclipse the 70 point mark in this one, but um, 
it was it was nice to see for sure. I was so surprised by the level of scoring, and it it makes you think back to some of those old Ryan Archie Diacono, Jalen Brunson teams. How good is this offense compared to what the Villanova offense has been the last few years? Over the last couple of years, I mean, this is as good as any offense that Kyle Neptune and Jay Wright have fielded, and that's quite the compliment with some of the guys that that they've brought through the program. And the thing is, I don't think that they're even at their peak on what they can do on their offensive abilities yet. I mean, we're still in November at the time of this recording. And um, I mean, four new transfers coming in, all four of them have a significant role. Uh, two of them, especially on the offensive end in Tyler Burton and TJ Bamba. Um, so I think when everything starts to click for this offense, we can truly be talking about a special, special team. And Tommy, you guys, on sex appeal, you guys go to UNC, and that's the game of the, you know, everybody's looking forward to two blue. But I've got, you know, what did you see in that one? Because I got in a few arguments with UNC Twitter. They're like, well, Villanova led on foul discrepancy. I'm like, well, welcome to every Big East team's nightmare because it's pump fake, get fouled every single time. Um, did you feel anything in that game was, you know, I don't want to say off at all. I mean, but did you feel that just Villanova beat them? Did you feel they got lucky? Because you know, UNC is a very formidable squad this year. Oh, for sure. I watch a lot of North Carolina basketball, and I got to tread lightly because my girlfriend's in the other room, and she's a huge UNC fan. So um, I, I I don't think anything was off in this game. Um, you know, I do think Villanova does a very good job of um, playing interior defense and not fouling, going straight up. And that's a Jay Wright staple that Kyle Neptune's kind of brought into his own. Uh, philosophies on the defensive end uh, on the other side I mean on the offensive end they're smart dribble drive kick out pass pump fake I mean that's just Villanova basketball and um, I mean you're going to get some guys in foul trouble I think that's was one of their game that was a game plan going into this one try and get guys like Armando Baycott who's a monster he's an absolute monster one of the best bigs in the country um, offensively yeah. and on the glass I think getting him in foul trouble early was big and something that they were looking to exploit going into that matchup. And what do, what does it say about Eric Dixon? I tweeted this out that his two career highs now are against Ryan Kalkbrenner and Armando Baycott. These are two of the best big men in the country. What does that just say about the player and the person that Eric Dixon is? Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that, that you brought that up. Uh, you did your research on, like, the announcer in that game who really <laughs> doubled and tripled down saying that uh, Dixon struggled against Kalkbrenner, which he has not in his career historically. But – I mean, Eric Dixon as a person is uh, truly a special kid. I mean, his mindset um, on and off the court is something that, I mean, I rival personally. Um, he's a warrior. He shows up when the lights are the brightest, and and you can't teach that in some of these kids nowadays. And then they go to the championship game. They have Memphis, a little redemption game for Javon Quinterly, but not quite. This one was over early, 44-16 at halftime. You had every uh, starter on Villanova scoring double digits. Who stood out to you in this game? Do you have one you want to call out? A lot of people stood out to me in this one. Um, I think I'll go outside of the box a little bit. I think uh, Tyler Burton and, and TJ Bamba did an outstanding job in this one. But outside the box on the defensive end, uh, I don't think I can overstate enough the improvements of Brendan Hawson that he's made early on on the defensive end. He's getting a lot of minutes early on in the year. Um, and it's because of his, I mean, he's a flamethrower on the offensive end. We all know that. 
Um, but he's really made tremendous strides on the defensive end and in a game that was over fairly quickly in that championship game, I I was looking for things to watch for. I was really impressed with Brendan Hawson's defense. Tommy, bigger not to bring it all the way up, but three wins in three days for Villanova. Does this quiet some of the Kyle Neptune can't coach slander that's been going on? What did he show you this weekend? Because this is as close to a tournament. Well, this is a tournament, you know, a simulation of what you're going to see later in postseason play, hopefully. Um, what did he show you with his ability to make adjustments? I sure hope it quiets some of that noise because I, I, I'm not a part of that crowd. I've never bought into that Kyle Neptune can't coach hype. I mean, you look at all the stuff last year that he went through um, with injuries, Cam Whitmore, Justin Moore, Chris Arch playing a bunch of minutes and then playing no minutes. I mean, I, I'm still extremely high on Kyle Neptune, and he went into this tournament against three different teams, and he had a game plan for every one of those teams. We talked about it with North Carolina getting them into foul trouble. Um, with Texas Tech, I mean, <laughs> they came into the game and said, you can't shoot threes. We're going to let you shoot threes the whole game, and if you beat us that way, so be it. Um, and they didn't. I mean, they shot 40% from three, and Villanova still – uh, walked out with a win. So I think Kyle came into this battle for Atlantis and the Bahamas with a game plan. I think they executed that game plan uh, to about as close as perfection as they could have. And now looking forward, what did we see in Atlantis that Villanova needs to continue doing to avoid another University of Pennsylvania slip up? That's a great question. So I think when they lost to the University of Pennsylvania at the Palestra, which was definitely at the Palestra, shout out Seth Davis. Um, <clears throat> I think what they what they relied on there, not relied on, what they went away from was their veteran leadership. Um, I, I think it was the team's first game on the road with that many transfers coming in, which is always going to be tough. But you saw in Atlantis when the going got tough, the ball went to three people, it went to Justin Moore, I went to Eric Dixon and I went to Mark Armstrong who hit some really tough shots down the stretch. So I think to avoid another slip up like that, I think they need to incorporate their transfers into their game plan. But the, the, the nucleus of their attack needs to be relying on, uh, on their veteran leadership. Do you think if the last year didn't happen the way it did that anyone would care about the UPenn slip up because it just seemed like it was like, Oh, here we go again. Almost that, you know, that's how it felt. Right, right. I mean, it was the end of the world for some people. Villanova almost lost a significant uh, donor on Twitter, uh, an, an abomination, if you will. Um, no, but no, I don't think that if things happen last to answer your question, no, I don't think that if the way it went down last year uh, didn't happen, then it wouldn't have done that this year. I mean, Penn, I mean, for people outside of the big five uh, in Philadelphia, it's comprised of six teams now with the addition of Drexel, but it's like a divisional game in the NFL, except everyone's within 45 minutes of each other in the city of Pens uh, Philadelphia. And you play each other every year. You're familiar with each other. Um, it's a raucous environment. I mean, slip-ups happen in the big five, and uh, we just saw one with Ben. Really quick, Tommy, you got St. Joe's at Kansas State and then UCLA to finish up your non-conference schedule. What is Nova Nation looking to do in those final three non-conference games? Yeah, in the Big Five Classic, um, which will be this Saturday, the second, at uh, the Wells Fargo Center, which I'm really looking forward to that. So, yeah, four games. I mean, if we can go three and one of those games, I think Kansas State on the road 
is going to be extremely tough. Um, UCLA at home is going to be a great measuring stick, but I expect Villanova to uh, win the next two big five games that they play in, especially at home. If Villanova loses on Wednesday at the Finneran Pavilion, then they will be playing in the last place game on Saturday in the big five classic. If they win, they'll be playing in the championship games. So a lot to gain, a lot to lose. Um, I think they take care of business at home and, I think uh, the Kansas State game is going to be a tough one for them on the road. Kansas State 41st in Ken Palm right now, UCLA 33rd in Ken Palm. So definitely tier one ability, um, especially seeing Kansas State on the road. Tommy, we can't thank you enough for coming on. Um, Like we said, go check out his podcast, The Mainline Minute. Um, Tommy does a great job breaking down Villanova hoops and um, everything that goes with it. So, Tommy, you're the best. Thank you guys for having me on. Had Had a fun time. All right, thanks to Tommy for coming on and talking some Villanova hoops. Contrary to popular belief, Tommy does know ball. Um, this Villanova team fun ride. I don't think we even talked enough about Eric Dixon in this whole segment. Well, yeah, we could do an hour on Eric Dixon and how unguardable he was this week, how much he contributes to his team in big moments. He is one of the, I mean, is he the most improved player in the Big East at this point? It's crazy going from second team to like first team, but like, yeah, we'd have to talk about it. Um, this Villanova team is probably poised to be right there to be maybe the third best team in the Big East. And that's really good news for us for the Big East. Um, I think the top four, top five, I'll say with Providence, have really solidified themselves as a top five. Would you agree? I think there's still room for movement. St. John's, Butler. You think one of them can overtake Providence? Yeah, I'm not saying anything solidified until non-conference ends. Oh, I am. I think that those top five are the top five no matter what. Um, and I think the top th- two are definitely the top two. That no seems like an unnecessarily hot take at the end of the episode here. No, it's kind of cool. Five, I don't think anybody – if if I had to place odds on these are the five that finish top five, I think you'd probably give me like an – like I'd probably get minus money on that. Okay, you got 15 more seconds. Any more hot takes you want to drop? No, that's it. I don't think St. John's is that great. Um, I think Rick, Butler's pretty good. Xavier's got to figure it All right. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us for week three of the Biggie's Barroom. We love you guys. And um, let's do a little like, subscribe, recommend to a friend, play it at the gym, and play it out loud so other people have to listen. Um do something like take your family's phones and subscribe to us or something. Cause every time you guys do that, it really helps us out. So we appreciate you. And as always, thanks, thanks. for pulling up the store.